Welcome to episode 19 of Double Down Trent. On today's episode, Aaron and I are talking man versus model. It's week six of our challenge and the man has gone ice cold. I can't pick a winner for my life. So you're going to want to stick around to see if I've activated Costanza mode and just pick the complete opposite of what I'm thinking. Then later in the episode, we're talking true detective. We welcome on special guest Steve Coulter, who's going to break down things like are Wayne and Roland even good detectives? Did Wayne figure out that was Julie at the end of the episode, or did he actually have amnesia? And where do we see the show going from there, if at all? Are we going to have a season four? And if so, who would you want to see on it? So stick around for episode 19 of Devil Down Trent. Can I kick it? After consulting with the legal team here at Double Down Trent, we have been told to cease and desist all playing of Can I Kick It? So it's all the Tribe Called Quest members out there, specifically you, Q-Tip, because I know you're a listener. Please don't sue us. Thank you. Welcome to Double Down Trent, the podcast where two elementary school buddies are talking sports, gambling, and pop culture. My name is Ryan. I'm your co-host. Joining me as usual is my co-host, Aaron. What's going on, bud? Oh, I'm doing great. Another person's uh, pain is my gain. Uh, one of the best times of the year. So conference tournaments for basketball are starting up. And I have a riddle for you. Yeah? What do you got? <laughs> okay. So what let do me, these... Let me, let, before you do this, <laughs> if this is at my expense, choose your words carefully. <laughs> it, it, it's never at your expense. Okay. What do the following schools have in common? Alabama A&M. Mississippi Valley State, South Carolina State, Southern, and Coppin State. Uh, let's see. They are all fantastic, amazing institutions <laughs> that everyone loves. Uh, close. What's the answer? They are all schools who have had more wins in their last 10 games than you have in your last 15 picks for man versus model. Listen, let's just address the elephant in the room. Let's just kind of go over it. I am ice cold. <laughs> ice cold. You have to try to pick as bad as I'm picking, but I'm trying to pick winners, and I'm just coming up with losers. And we'll absolutely get there, but in the last 15 picks that you've made, you've gone two wins, 12 losses, and one push in your last 15 picks. And I, I don't even know. I can't even think of a word to describe how that's going. It's just turmoil. It is utter garbage it is a hot turd sitting <laughs> and just staring at me in the face last week i made the guarantee i was like i'm gonna get some winners you're gonna want to listen i've got to pick and here we are i went oh four and one oh four and one you know i don't know if there's anything else that makes me happier okay so for this week we're going to be covering a bunch of different things the first thing that I want to go over quickly, just because it's one of the best sports moments of the year, uh, conference tournaments for basketball. People don't know this. It starts tonight. Tonight? Um, How about that? So I found something on uh, that was trending on Twitter that was a PDF of all the schedule of the tournaments. So just so everyone knows, the uh, it's we're, we're recording on a Monday. Um, the first tournament starts tonight. It's the Atlantic Sun. Um, and then there are going to be games for the next uh, two weeks or so uh, before Selection Sunday. Um, so we will post that in the show notes and we'll try to put it up on the, on a double down trend as well. So if you want to see the schedule is and where it's being played, check it out. Yeah. And we're about to embark on just a phenomenal stretch of sports conference tournament into March madness is one of the best 
times of the year in terms of sports, not just gambling, but if you just want to sit down and watch, I mean, it is amazing. And what's cool about March Madness is you get a lot of people that uh, may just be like casual fans who fill out a bracket and like just participate. So everyone's really talking about it. It's something that you can, uh, you know, relate to coworkers about. It's just glorious. I love it. I do miss, though, the good old days uh, of the Big East Conference. That was my favorite conference. I mean, granted, I'm in that area. Uh, I was a big, you know, UConn fan back in the day. The UConn-Syracuse battles with Pitt. I mean, all, those games were like must-watch TV for me at the Garden. And it just doesn't feel the same without it. But still, Conference Championship Week is here upon us, and it is glorious. It's definitely a little weird with some uh, colleges transferring around to other uh conferences so you know you have syracuse and the acc and you know they used to be a big big uh big east anchor yeah yeah uh all right so let's uh let's jump in uh let's review the games uh from last week the listener standings uh real quick little housekeeping uh you can find everything now on doubledowntrent.com if you want to play along we've got our selections up there you can go ahead and make your picks and uh, see how you're doing so let's start by reviewing the five games last week. Then we'll jump into the overall standings and exactly with how listeners did. And then we'll finish by going through the five games that we have picked for tomorrow night uh, for Tuesday night's games. So um, as a quick review, Ryan went zero, four, and one. Uh, the model went one, three, and one. Um, the the game that pushed was LSU AM. and um, The line was 11. So that's, we're probably just going to skip that. So for the, Games that we lost, uh, we both had picked Duke minus three, uh, minus three and a half. Virginia Tech ended up winning that one. We both had taken Iowa plus two. Ohio State ended up absolutely killing them by 20. I don't know what happened there. That game really hurt. Um, And then we also lost the UNC-Syracuse game. Um, This was actually really close. We had uh, UNC minus 12 and a half. Um, it was kind of flirting right around that number at the end. And then Syracuse ended up covering a bunch of points. Um, so they ended up covering that spread. And then the one where the model made the difference, Indiana <laughs> against Wisconsin. I Model had Indiana plus three. Ryan had Wisconsin minus three. Indiana came through Man, just like I expected. They were playing like shit all leading up to that too. I think they had lost like five in a row. Couldn't cover for the life of them. And sure enough, when I decide that they're not going to do it, they come back and just stick it right up, right up there. Well, I, I will say the model's performance just has been pretty abysmal overall, but there's these flashes like that that, uh, you know, just just gives you just the slightest confidence in it. You know, <laughs> the model hasn't been great, but the man has been worse. So hang your hat on that, my friend. When you're picking next to me right now, it is just pure and utter garbage. Uh, so this week, you know, I, I'm full engaged. Uh, Costanza mode has been officially activated. For the <laughs> listeners who don't know, the George Costanza motto that we've been really anchoring this podcast to, if every instinct you have is wrong, then the opposite would have to be right. I'm going with the opposite. So every pick I made this week, I looked at the options. I analyzed it. I made my actual pick of what I thought was going to win. And then for this contest, I picked the opposite. So before we get to this week's picks, let's remind the listeners where the heck we're at with the overall standings. And this is going to be our second to last week. So we are going to be doing picks for recording it today for tomorrow's games on Tuesday. And then we will have the last week uh, next week, which will be some of the conference tournament games that we'll also record on a Monday and they'll get played on Tuesday night. And that'll kind of conclude the man versus model competition for NCAA basketball. So as of right now, we have about 15 listener participants who have, joined the competition at some week in the last five. Um, 
in this most recent week, we had the star of the week woman go four zero and one for the best record of the week. And then we had bet five Clive who went three and one, three, one and one. Everyone's going to have a push. And then uh, we had a couple of listeners come in at two, two and one. That's AK big Jetta. What a name. What a name. Big Jetta. (laughs) Big Jetta. Luann still hanging tough at two, two and one. And then we had a couple uh, new listeners um, also come in at one, three and one. That was Lenny Friday. Dumb man, forty-seven in Colorado Rocky. Uh, if woman is listening, if you want to give me some tips on how you make picks, uh, I would greatly appreciate that. I'm looking for any kind of edge I can get here, so please help a brother out. So I'm not sure if I should admit this to you, but woman is actually my four-year-old son who poof submits his picks, and he uh, just dominated it last week. <laughs> man, that is just crushing to my soul. Uh, the offer's still out there. I think we'll have a good conversation, but you know, maybe, uh, oh man, a four-year-old's picking better than me. <laughs> I ask him who he likes and he tells me which team he likes. And that's when we submit. Hey man, maybe you got a future, uh, you know, picker on your hands there. It could be working at Vegas, setting the lines before you know it. Uh, okay. So the overall standings for the listener, uh, s- submissions right now. So I'm going to call out only the listeners who have either, um, entered recently or have been uh, submitting for multiple weeks. So in first place is bet five Clive who just started last week is that three and one 75% accurate. Um, in, in second place, kind of both two jarring, uh, for second big cheddar technically has it right now at six and three with 67% accuracy, but Luann is close behind at 12 and seven for 63% accuracy. And then we have AK in seventh place at five and four, 55% accuracy. Woman coming on strong after a really good week at 11 and 13 for 45% accuracy. Dumb man right behind him uh, at 10 and 12 for 45%. And then we have the model and the man kind of neck and neck. The model's at nine and 15, nine wins, 15 losses for 37% accuracy. The man one behind eight and 16 for 33% accuracy. And then we have a number of folks bringing up the rear who I'm not going to go into. You know, it's right on brand for me, though. So if anyone uh, is not aware, I finished the NFL season at a whopping 37% success rate. So, you know, I'm not too far off my historical levels there. So I expect to make a little rebound here. (laughs) I'm really hoping the model just kind of turns the knife in your. There's not even a chance for you to come back next week. Listen, I'm also I've got a, a really special strategy here where I'm saving up all of my wins for March Madness and conference tournament time. Okay. I've only got a certain amount of wins in me. I got to save them up and now's that's, the time I'm going to use them. That's smart. That's really smart. <laughs> okay. Let's go to uh, this week's five games. Um, again, they're getting played on March 5th. So Tuesday night. So get your submissions in before then the first game that we have is an ACC game. Florida state is home against Virginia tech. Florida State is currently favored by four and a half. Who do you got? Yeah, so uh, I think Virginia Tech is going to cover this game, but because I'm going with the opposite, my official pick here is Florida <laughs> State. Uh, I'm riding the bandwagon. I'm making the opposite. Uh, you know, Virginia Tech has been looking really good. They've won four of their last five, including a really big uh, win against Duke uh, in, their, in their last game here. Uh, I'm, I do actually like Florida State at home. You know, the home the home courts kind of have a big ad- advantage here. What I've noticed in these games is that uh, due to the volatility, we'll throw that word around again, 
Uh, home court has really been playing a factor in here. I'm riding uh, Florida State minus four and a half. Okay, I like it. Um, the model's going the opposite. The model's going Virginia Tech plus four and a half. Um, so a couple of things to think about. So the model actually thinks that this game is a Virginia Tech win by 10. Now there are some injuries that would actually make me think that it's going to be more conservative than that. So for Virginia Tech, uh, they have a guard who's out. Justin Robinson hurt his foot in early February. Um, he's been third on the points, uh, third on the team in points scored, and he also has 19 starts. So that would be something that the model doesn't take into account. So I would actually expect this game to be closer. I still think Virginia Tech is going to win based on what the model is telling me, but who knows? The model hasn't been great. So I'm going Virginia Tech with the model there. Yeah, and Virginia Tech, they play incredible defense. So this is going to be probably a low-scoring game, but I was trying to even get some reads on uh, you know these teams against the spread the past couple of games. Uh, Florida State, 6-4 and four against the spread. Uh, and Virginia Tech is five, four, and one. So, you know, nothing really to pick up there in terms of uh, any kind of edge you want to get, but I'm, I'm still sticking by with my Florida State pick. I love it. Uh, we're staying in the ACC for the next game. Duke is home against my Wake Forest Demon Deacons. The line for this is minus 26 and a half. Duke is favored by 26. Who do you got? Okay. Also, I'd like to address that Wake Forest, your alma mater. They killed me a couple weeks ago. I was like, no way am I picking them. They are terrible. They are trash. And they go out and beat Notre Dame and just really just, you they're know, kicking and kicking man when he's down. So they're back. I guess they're our, uh, you know, our recording team here that we're going to be going over. Um, I, <laughs> again, I'm going in the opposite mode. Uh, I do think Duke is going to obviously win this game. Uh, but when it comes to the spread, I think it is going to be close. Looks like Zion's not playing. Uh, that that could change, but you know, looks like he's not going to be in the game. I can't do this. I can't actually pick Duke to win because it's the opposite. So I cannot believe I'm saying this. I'm taking your boys, the Wake Forest <laughs> Demon Deacons, plus twenty six and a half. Oh, I think you got that wrong. It's the Wake Wake Forest Dumpster Fires. <laughs> well, I, I love that pick. Hey, if they're the dumpster fire, then me, myself, and Wake, we are two peas in a pod, baby. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you guys are attached to the hip. So I, too, am going uh, with Wake Forest plus 26 and a half. Uh, the model thinks that this is a Duke win by 25. Um, so uh, I think it hopefully be a little closer than that, even with, uh, like you said, Williamson not playing for Duke. Uh, Wake Forest also has some injuries. So they have a, a center who's... Uh, started 16 times for them. Uh, he's a Frenchman. I think his name is Olivier Saar. Um, doesn't score a lot of points, but obviously takes up a bunch of minutes. He is questionable for the game, so I'm not sure that he'll be playing. Um, but I have a riddle for you with Wake Forest. So over oh, the boy. last 10 games, <laughs> over the last 10 games, they've gone three and seven, three wins, seven losses. In those seven losses, what is the average amount of points that they've lost by? Man, uh... I feel like it's got to be pretty big. <laughs> I mean, the spread is 26 and a half against Duke. All right, I'm going to say uh, they've lost by 16 points. All right, that's a pretty good guess. So in those seven losses, they've lost on average by 23 points. Oh, man. So I figure, oh, they get 26 points here, even against a Duke team that's pretty good, minus Williamson. Oh, I was like, oh, they definitely got this. So I'm, I'm keeping it. I'm not going to override my model which we should talk about as a rule. And I'm, I'm staying with it and I'm taking wake. I mean, what are the odds that wake forest loses on average 23 points to teams? And of course the one week that I, I picked them against Notre Dame, they come and win the game. Like what the hell? It's <laughs> right, the best. Against, I love yeah, it. They're just killing me. 
All right, third game. We are going uh, to the Big Ten. Minnesota is home against a pretty good Purdue team. Purdue is favored by minus six. It looks like we're both in the uh, same mindset here. Model is taking Purdue minus six, as is Ryan. Yep, uh, this is the opposite pick, so take that with a grain of salt, but I'm riding with Purdue. Uh, Purdue's been hot. They've won five in a row. They beat Ohio State pretty handedly uh, in their in their last outing. So they're looking good here. Um, I, yeah, I, I'm doing. I'm taking Purdue. I'm sticking with that pick. Uh, you know, nothing for me to to read on from them, but I do think they win and cover this game. All right, I like it. Um, Model has this game as a seven-point win for Purdue, so I'm definitely taking them. Um, and these two teams played about a month ago, and the spread was 11 and a half, where Purdue was home, um, and Minnesota ended up losing by 10. So. Maybe this game is a little closer than what what they already had, but I'm hoping that Purdue shows up again and puts puts a Minnesota away. Yeah, it's gonna be close. Uh, last ten against the spread, Minnesota is five and five, and Purdue is six and four. So, again, toss up in terms of uh, you know reading the, the past couple of games and looking at that as a uh, predictor. Yep, nothing there. All right, for the fourth game, we actually are going. I don't even know what conference this is. This is the Ohio. Mac, baby. Oh, the Mac. Ohio is home against Buffalo. Uh, Buffalo is favored by 12 and a half. We have a discrepancy here. So the model is taking Ohio plus 12 and a half. Ryan is going Buffalo minus 12 and a half. Yeah. Buffalo, uh, pretty good team. They're moving up to their 19th in the, in the country right now. So they're uh, a better team than people I think are aware of. They got a chance to win the Mac tonight. So, uh, or at least clinch the top seed for the tournament tonight. Um, I am picking Buffalo here. This is an opposite pick. Um, Buffalo, though, overall 26 and three, uh, which is pretty fantastic. 14 and two in the conference. Ohio is five and 11 in the conference with a 13 and 15 record overall. Um, I am taking the Buffalo team here, the SUNY Buffalo. I'm riding them. They're going to win the Mac and put it down a pen. All right. So the, the model thinks that this is a 12 point win from Buffalo. Um, so just under that 12 and a half. So that's why I think it's going to cover. Um, however, um, so these these two teams have played a couple of weeks ago. Ohio was home and Buffalo scored 114 points and won by more than 18 and a half, which was that spread. So I was actually going to ask you, um, what is the possibility of me being able to override my model picks at some points and try to improve my standings against the listeners uh, just in general? Because so- this would be the one that I would consider. Yeah, and I have a major beef with this. I believe we talked about this previously. <laughs> this is called man versus the model, not man versus the model, but I can make some changes to it, okay? <laughs> it's man versus model. If your model's saying, I got this team, you got to pick this team. That's how it works. Okay, so I, my, my vote for next time we do this, you know, come fall for college football, it'll be man versus the model where I can change some or whatever, <laughs> whatever you just said. I like man that. versus model versus... We'll have to think of a new name for that. So we'll see what we're going to do with that. Okay. So therefore I am sticking with Ohio plus 12 and a half for the model pick. Okay. The last game that we have uh, back to the ACC, Boston college is home against North Carolina. North Carolina is favored by 11. You are taking North Carolina by 11. Yep. Uh, They're hot. I think I went on record previously uh, last week saying that they could be one of the best teams in the country. Um, I'm riding them. They've won five in a row. Uh, they're hot. They're not great against the spread right now. They're six and four in the last 10. So it's again, nothing, uh, you know, no real edge to pick there in terms of looking at the the last 10, 
but I got UNC here. Uh, BC, pretty good team. I think they're gonna, you know, they're gonna give them a little bit of a run here. But I'm sticking with UNC, the favorite, minus eleven. And is that an opposite pick, or is that one that you're just going with straight up? I need to know. Okay, all right. <laughs> this is an opposite pick. Uh, so everything I did this week was opposite. I had to. I got to do something. I got to mix it up a little bit here. Okay, I like it. Um, <laughs> the model is going BC plus 11. Um, it The model thinks that this is a UNC win by nine points. Um, and then looking at some injury stuff, um, which it would actually make me switch my pick, but because I'm not allowed, I need to leave it. So BC has a freshman guard who's questionable for the game. Uh, he, he looks like he has a knee injury. His name is Winston Tabs. Um, he's been averaging 14 points a game, and uh, it seems like a really uh, high-quality player for them, and he's he might be out. UNC also has an injury. Sterling, Sterling Manley is a forward. He's questionable for the game. Uh, he's probably less important in the grand scheme of things. Zero starts, about four points a game. Um, so I'm unfortunately cannot change my pick. I'm taking BC plus 11. And th- I will add, this is a BC team that just lost to Georgia Tech, which is some bottom feeder of the ACC. And now they're coming to UNC. I don't like it one bit. Yeah. But hey, listen, you got some things going for you in favor here for Boston College. So they are two and three in their last five games, but they're five and oh against the spread their last five. So you know, again, I'm going with the opposite, but that's why I uh, was initially leaning towards BC five and zero in the last five against the spread. Okay, so listeners, make sure that you go to Double Down Trent and to the Man versus Model tab, and you get your picks in. Everything is updated and ready to go. And then I will take, um, I'll take your picks, and I'll see if I can create some type of standings page too, so that folks can actually check in to see how they did in lieu of waiting for us to do another podcast a week later. Yeah. And uh, again, thanks to all the listeners for playing along, submitting picks, uh, taking it to me, showing me that I am a really bad picker of games. <laughs> um, but this is the week I turn it around. I am turning it around. Opposites engaged. I don't believe it. <laughs> we'll see what happens then. Uh, so real quick, uh, we previously had done the over under results for the NL East and Major League Baseball. So we went over uh, all five teams to see how many wins we think they're going to get. Major happenings in the MLB. Bryce Harper decides to leave the Nationals and signs with the division rival Philadelphia Phillies. So our over unders there are probably going to be affected by that. But the big thing to notice uh, that is an interesting talking point in his introductory press conference, Bryce Harper says, the following i want to bring a title back to dc i want to be on broad street now (laughs) that is a bad look for bryce i mean does he still have just dc on his mind does he regret the signing i mean what do you take what do you make about this Uh, i think there's a couple things going on one i think he already misses his dc brother and he mixes he misses max He, he he misses robles he misses his boys I think I think the good thing for him is that he can continue wearing red and fit in just fine, given that the color schemes are similar between the two teams. But I'm really hoping that uh, we don't miss him one bit as a Nats fan. That uh, he just has a 250 batting average or below <laughs> and doesn't show up for most of the year. Yeah, you know we talked about it a little bit. I think the Nats are still going to be a really good team. I, I think they have to still be. Well, maybe not have to, but I think they're still the favorite to win the division. But Philly got a hell of a lot better. Uh, if you're a Philly fan, if you're just a casual fan, and you hear your new shiny, expensive signing Bryce saying that he wants to win a title for DC, how are you taking that? Are you now? Do you, do you judge him a little bit? Are you like a little weary? Does he have to like prove himself, or do you just write it off as like a slip of the tongue? 
there's no way they can write these off. These are fans who booed Santa. There's there's <laughs> no way that they can just write this off and let it go. Yeah, I mean, Philly fans are the worst. I mean, we're let's be honest. No one likes Philly fans. Even Philly fans don't like Philly fans. When you talk to Philly fans about it and they say, oh, you booed Santa, you threw batteries, they're like, nah, that's just some of the bad fans. We don't like them. That's everybody. That's Philly. <laughs> Uh, I do, however, like Harper trying to get uh, Antonio Brown interested in coming to the Eagles. I think uh, that's athlete to athlete stuff is pretty cool. Yeah, I mean, just more dumpster fire. Just bring it all in there. I'd like every Philly team to just get all the cancer people in and just to have the locker rooms just be disintegrated. So, yeah, bring Antonio Brown to Philly. Let him destroy that team, too. Well, that and uh, Nick Foles, uh, you know, who's got God on his team, uh, is going to be leaving. So, yeah. Uh, yeah. There's going to be some not nice things coming to Philly. Yep. It's going to be interesting. Um, all right. So that puts a, a little uh, ending to – is this our sixth week doing this challenge or fifth week? I can't remember. But keep an eye out. we got some games coming up. I think it's sixth week, right? This is coming up on our sixth. Yep. Yeah. Uh, and so we got some conference tournaments to watch. we got some picks for you guys. Really exciting time to be a sports fan, to make some bets, and get some picks in. Why should I live in history, huh? Talk, I don't want to know anything anymore. This is a world where nothing is solved. And someone once told me time is a flat circle. If everything we've ever done or will do, we're going to do over and over and over again. And that little boy and that little girl, they're going to be in that room again. All right, so for our next segment, we are going to be talking True Detective, Series 3, or Season 3, I should say, just wrapped up. And joining me today is my good friend, Steve Coulter. Coulter, what's going on, bud? Oh, not too much, man. I'm pumped to talk some TV. Uh, You know, certainly disappointed in uh, numerous things that happened on Sunday night, and uh, excited to talk about TV in general with you. Thanks for having me on. Let's just jump right into it. Season 3 wrapped. Um, I think... For most of the season, I was really enjoying the show. It felt a lot like, uh, you know, back to form from season one compared to season two, just to get to the finale on Sunday to kind of pull it all away. Like, it just felt like a major, major letdown, major disappointment. Uh, Do you you see, uh, like, the way I'm seeing it, or has you got a different take? He, yeah, I think uh, the show under Nick uh, Pizzolatto came up with all these different conspiracies and murders and all these different plots and themes uh, that he threw at us throughout the season and, and got us going as a TV audience and then kind of just dropped the hammer on us. And, and really the show wasn't really about the mystery or the crime or anything at all. It was about this guy's relationship with his wife and his relationship with his partner, Roland West, who, and Stephen Dorff was great. Mahershal Lee was great. And, uh, I'm going to mispronounce her last name, but Carmen Egio, the wife, uh, she was excellent. Uh, but I wanted more than just their relationships, you know, you can watch a lot of TV shows like the Americans is a show about a relationship. That's a great TV show, but that's not why I tuned in for T- true detective. And I don't think that's why you tuned into it either. Yeah. I mean, I couldn't agree more. Like there, like you said, there's a hundred different shows out there about relationships and like husbands and wives and all that kind of stuff. We watch true detective because we want to find, you know, these, these guys who get this mystery, they want to solve it. They track it down. And like season one did that brilliantly. 
season two totally fucked that up. But then everything that led up to the finale on season three was building to that. And to me, the, the finale felt like a giant fuck you to the fans. Like, you know, to end it the way that they did, and we'll, we'll dive into the specifics here. Um, it was, it was almost like anti-establishment. Like, I really think like Nick Pizzolatto, the, the creator and writer of the show was like, you know, he, he's probably acknowledging that people disliked season two. So he kind of went back to went what the worked. other way. Yeah. Yeah. I Just think in, the best, the best thing I heard about it was that he wanted to, or the HBO actually not even him wanted something that would, would kind of wrap up at the end of it and not be open-ended like the first season. And so he gave us something that was very, uh, in a square, you know, it, it, there was no open, you know, there was no openings at the end of this one. The crime was solved. The characters are who they are. He went into the dementia and that's it. And there is no sort of grand conspiracy. But as you were saying, it really is an F you to the audience. And it was kind of a statement against this kind of culture that is always looking at murders and investigation stuff, uh, podcasts like serial. And it was a big, uh, middle finger to all that. And, you know, that's fine and all. I don't mind going counterculture and, and, and doing stuff like that. But at the end of the day, I don't think this guy is as good of a writer as people think he is. You know, the, the great part of the first uh, season of True Detective was the direction. Kerry Fukunaga was the MVP and Matthew McConaughey and Woody Harrelson were, were great actors. They were there what uh, kind of held up the show. And then when he went his own way in season two, we saw how bad that it went off the rails immediately oh, without yeah. uh, Fukunaga's influence. And here he is again. And I don't think he was able to, I, I think from the very early onset of this season, I think the writing was poor. It was just, some of the lines were just very weak. And some of the scenes, uh, like one of the scenes that, that really drew me out was the racial tension. And I think it was the third or fourth episode where they crossed the, the town lines. Yeah. That, that just did not work for me at all. It's like they surround the people surround their cars and you could feel obviously what he was going for. The town is segregated and there's a lot of hostility towards police and I get that you have to set that environment up, but the sh- the writing in it was was really poor. The setup, I understand as a show, what he was trying to do to get that kind of uh, setting in place, but the writing in that scene in particular, and there was just so many other scenes where the writing I thought was lackluster at best. Yeah, absolutely. And we'll we'll get to this a little later on with some different segments that we got here. Um, you know, really leaning on things that he knows works. And like you said, the, the directing and the, the cinematography of season one, um, I even call it like the, the, the true detective, uh, specialty shot where it's like that drone overhead yep. landscape where like, and a lot of shows now are doing that. And it's kind of like that signature look. And they even did it in season three, but you know, you're totally right. Um, so a few things for me, you know, why would they tease the connection to season one, but not, acknowledge it and not use that at all like it almost was like hey you know to the audience like it got us interested it got us being like oh man there's gonna be some major connection maybe they're gonna bring back you know rust or you know one of them but then it just didn't happen and we don't even see eliza's character in the the last episode and she's the documentarian played by sarah gadden uh and you know again the character at the beginning of that the beginning of the series, I didn't think she was very well written either. It's like, she's sleeping with the son, um, obviously, uh, Hayes, son in the 2015 plot line. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, the scene where he goes and visits her in the hotel room just felt, that felt like it was out of a soap opera almost. I, I, I can't believe that, uh, Mahershala Ali didn't give, uh, Pizzolatto more notes on that scene. Cause it was just like, it was so forced and all their whole arc didn't make sense to this, this season because she doesn't come into it at all in the finale. Uh, and as you said, there's no connection to season one yet. 
every single scene that she has in this in this season is leading up to that reveal in the seventh episode where she shows us Marty and Rust, and it's like, all right, now we're on. We're gonna be something big is about <laughs> to happen in this final episode, and then it's not. And again, I don't want to complain about that too much because I get like that's what he's trying to go for, and it's his show. Totally on you to do what you have to do with your show, but like the writing leading up to that was really poor. I, I just think it could have been executed a lot better. Yeah, and we got a lot of things that we'll nitpick and, and kind of pick apart here. But um, you know, like you said, it ultimately ended up becoming a show about a husband and his wife and his relationship with her. Um, so that kind of that kind of segs us into one of our big major problems with the with the season at whole, uh, the wife Amelia. So what exactly was her character trying to achieve? Because, you know, they, they hint at something more like, you know, throughout the season, they tease her as the author of this book. They keep referencing the book. She shows up as kind of this, like, you know, ghostly vision in, in uh, Wayne's. How, how, how convenient that she's able to tell us exactly what happened to Lucy and Mike, uh, you know, as a vision. And I, mean, I wish I had a vision like that, that could tell me all the, the answers to my problems and yeah. solve cases for me. And let me just quickly jump into that segment there because that just seemed like such lazy writing. Oh, like so you're lazy. You know, you got a character who is dead at this point, who's a, a figure in Wayne's head, who now is explaining everything that happened. Like the show is called True Detective. How about the detective actually figures this out on his own? These guys, I think I tweeted this after. I mean, are these guys good detectives or I don't think they are. I mean, it took them 25 years to solve what otherwise is a pretty straightforward case, uh, not to step on our talking points, but I mean, it's like you have this character Watts who comes in in the finale and he tells them everything that happened. And it's like, why couldn't they figure that out in 1980? He's, uh, he's suspicious. Purple is suspicious at the very beginning that this is, this doesn't make sense. It's like, well, why don't you try to look up the daughter of Hoyt who clearly lost her child? Like that seems like she's ripe for somebody that would want to, take a child off the streets and replace her, her dead kid. Like that seems like it makes total sense to me. Why did it take him 35 years? And then again, and then again in 90, it's like the, the dad dies and they're all upset and they go and kill the other cop. But then it takes him 25 years again to go back and look at it. Like they knew that it didn't make sense yet. They didn't actually push it all the way. And that's the difference between season one and season three is that Russ pushed it all the way. I mean, there's that great shot where they open them up in the storage unit and he is just yep. he his whole life has became this where it's like I, I don't buy that the whole the the case was wayne's life i don't think it was you know and sorry i keep going back from wayne and hayes i i call them both names and purple <laughs> he's got a couple names uh but uh wayne hayes purple is his nickname you know as a character i don't know if he came together is he a true detective and roland i certainly don't think is a true detective because he was kind of just sitting there with the dogs in 2015 and you know, Wayne comes by and they say, well, why don't we go look for this guy, Watts? And then conveniently, he's got some sort of connection to the DMV. And the, that that's just a voiceover narration as they're driving in 2015. Yeah, it was it totally was just really lazy writing and on all ends in the finale. Yeah. I mean, bad writing, bad character development. Like these are guys that, you know, you stick with throughout the season because the acting was good. And like Mahershala was fantastic throughout the whole show. Steven Dorff actually was really good as well. Like I thought his character, or at least his acting was great. Yeah. I mean, Pizzolatto, I think the best thing he's done as a showrunner is cast. I mean, McConaughey is rust is all time. I think he's on the Mount Rushmore for me of TV characters. And you have Marty Hart with Woody Harrelson. I'll even say Colin Farrell as uh, Ray Valcoro in the second season. Phenomenal yep. casting choice. And then here, I think he goes three for three with his major characters, but it's just 
the characters themselves don't make sense. And to go back, we're going to go full circle to Amelia. It's like every time she was having a conversation with Wayne in the 1980s storyline that we could get more information about her past. It just, she ended up using her sexuality to divert the conversation away from anything. So the whole time I didn't, you didn't really know she could have been in on this, uh, this whole thing with the kids where she, as a teacher, obviously had access to the kids. So I was led to believe throughout the season that she might've been the one that took the kids off the street and maybe sold them to Hoyt, maybe sold them to this grand conspiracy that uh, in 2015 that were led is to connect to uh, Marty and Rust. And of course she has nothing to do with it. Nothing. Yeah. In the finale, she turns out to be just a great wife. And if if Wayne had just read her book, the (laughs) the season would have been one episode. One episode. Read my book. That's the end of the case. (laughs) Yeah. I mean, the two lessons from this, the show was read your wife's book if she ever writes a book and that lithium is a hell of a drug, not to, <laughs> to, to quote Rick James. But I mean, the thing that they did in the finale with the girl, with Lucy, it's like, oh, yeah, they just drugged her full of lithium. And then she just didn't realize what she was doing. That's kind of convenient. I mean, yeah. what? Yeah. They just they lithium her, lithiumed her up for 10 years and put her in a room and she never quite I, I just. It's just, it's all a mess. And like bringing it back to Amelia, like you said, like throughout the season, they're making it, you know, seem like she's involved in some bigger conspiracy. Like as the teacher, she's got access to the kids. The totally. book comes out, they're hinting at it. And then even the first time that we meet Junius, uh, the the one-eyed man who ends up having a, a huge role, you know, she's given this press conference where, uh, you know, there's a lot of tension. Then that character, Watts, Junius, whatever they call him, um, comes in really hot and you're like, wow, this has got it. There's something here. And then it's just nothing. The other thing, too, about her character, and I didn't even put this one down, is she's clearly, and, and because obviously she's the teacher, she's the smartest character, too. So you're led to believe if anybody's going to be pulling one on us, it's not going to be Wayne or Roland or any of the cops because they're just, you know, kind of your your standard, not, I don't want to say dumb, but standard, you know, not, they're not going to be elaborative thinkers here. You know what I'm saying? Yeah. But she, she's a really sharp cookie and she's had these worldly experiences. They, they hint that she's out in the West. Uh, she's obviously educated. And, but so it's like all that backstory for her never really comes up. She just ends up becoming, she just stays a teacher the whole time, which is fine again. But like, it was so misleading. You're led to believe that she, her intelligence might be kind of the linchpin to all of this, that she might have, she might totally be screwing with Wayne and not giving him the, the full picture. And of course, as we've gone over, the finale t- goes the complete opposite direction. She's just a great wife, and Wayne, <laughs> Wayne should have listened to her and read her book more. It, 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 you know, and that's fine. Again, it, it's not that's his decision, but it, it, all the leading up to the finale was going in the opposite direction. And uh, there were so many scenes with her in the 1980s that they, she attends the town hall meeting with the yep. two parents and. You know, she, the mom, Lucy runs out and then they're in the parking lot. Yeah. Why did, why did we need that scene? You know, it right. doesn't, doesn't add anything. And she investigates the doll maker, uh, the woman who made the dolls who I'm drawing a blank on her character's name, but that scene doesn't go anywhere. The dolls certainly didn't go anywhere, you know, and a lot of it's misdirection. And I guess, you know, Pizzolatto could say, you know, this is what he was trying to go for is it's all misdirection. And that's why people are upset, but it, you know, there could, there's other ways to do this where you don't have to have scenes with the doll maker woman because she right. obviously had no part in the plot, you know? No point in the plot. And then the dolls particularly were, in my opinion, used to make it an initial tie and connection to season one because they're very similar. 
yeah. for the Dolphins season one. And so again, that just goes full circle back to the the giant fuck you. It's like, why why do all this? Why do all that? You know? Yeah. It, and it, I would rather have a couple scenes like Wayne. Like, here are some characters that I'd like to know more about. Wayne's daughter, grown up version. Right. I'd rather have, I'd rather have ten minutes with her than ten minutes with Amelia and the doll maker lady. You know, I'd rather have ten minutes with the documentarian rather than see. Amelia outside in the parking lot with Lucy and Lucy yelling at her again. We already saw Lucy yell at her again, two episodes prior. Why do we need to see another scene of them yelling at each other? You know, it didn't add anything to their depth of character or the, or the mystery of the show. Uh, yeah. Uh, a lot of it was telegraphed too. And I know we want to talk about that too. It's just like, it felt like even the big mysteries like Woodard, you know, being the guy that they pinned it on. I, you could see that from a mile away. Right. James, James getting murdered at that barn. It, it, the foreshadowing is like, it's almost too heavy handed. It's not even good foreshadowing. It yeah. really, uh, a lot of this stuff you could see the seventh episode. It's like, well, we know they're going to pick up James leaving the thing and we know he's going to die. And it's just a matter of how he dies. And of how, course, right. which and is of course, not very compelling. Yeah. No, and of course he, it's not compelling at all. He dies within five minutes of them interrogating. Right. And he tells them no information Nothing. whatsoever. And then pro- <laughs> Probably the best scene in the entire series is after that where, you know, Dorf's character says, you know, I'm thinking it. And he's thinking, you know, the, you know, calling Wayne a name. Yep. And uh, and that's a great scene. But, like, to get to that point, we had to totally get rid of James's character. And at that point, I, I think that was when the mystery of the show, really, the air sucked out of it because there that the conspiracy died then. And then Pizzolatto had written himself into a corner where – there was no, there was no big conspiracy because the one guy who could reveal it was dead, and the only other guy, I guess, was Watts, who was he's like the magical fairy. He comes right. in at the end and, and tells them the story. I don't yeah. know. <laughs> it, it, it was just a baffling set of choices that led us to that barn sequence, and then in the barn, that sequence had the ripple effect on the finale, which you know, obviously, was as we've said now, it's just been a letdown. Very strange. And so the next topic we got, and it's, it's along the lines of misdirection. It, it relates to Eliza, the, the documentarian. She conveniently was not even in the finale at all. So I've got a ton of questions on her. It makes me think, why even have this character in the first place? Um, before we get into like the nitty and gritty of this character, what I want to know is, how does she have all this information? She had information that the police didn't have that Wayne and, and uh, Roland didn't have. And it, it almost felt like, you know, Roland or uh, yeah, Roland was trying to get, or Wayne was trying to get information out of her uh, to kind of pry and see what she knew. I, I just don't understand the point of this character when she was just totally not used at all in the finale. Yeah. She was a better detective than the rest of them. Right. I mean, she found out more about this case uh, and, and this grand conspiracy than Wayne and, and uh, Roland ever did. Ask, you know, uh, it really is baffling to me. Where where did she get the information from? It's almost a convenient uh, kind of a character development, right? And then she just has all this information, right? We don't get any background on her other than the fact that she's sleeping with Wayne's son. Yeah, and you you brought up a really good point that you know. Eliza's supposed to represent the audience that were the ones who are like, Hey, I hope this ties into season one, uh, you know, a bigger conspiracy. I mean, you know, if, if you're using her just as exposition to kind of explain things that ultimately aren't involved, I, I don't understand why you even have that character in there at all. Yeah. I mean, I would say there was at least, if you accumulated the time that we see with her, with Wayne, there's at least an episode 
uh, of them just talking, right? Without doubt. So I mean, that's that's an hour worth of the t- of the season that's that really goes nowhere. And you're right, it's exposition, but it's it's sloppy exposition where you're given all this information. There's enough, and I'm glad you brought that up because there's enough exposition in the show as it is. I mean, Roland and Wayne, we learn everything about them through them just talking to one another. You know, there's very few. Besides the first episode where they're shooting uh, the gun and having beers, shooting rats and, and having beers, and then yep. they have a couple other scenes together where he goes over to his house. But other than that, a lot of it is just them riding around together or them in a police station. And uh, I don't know. I don't need any more exposition from a show that's already about cops driving around. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> you know, and that's yeah. fine. You know, that, the first season was compelling because they, they go from point A to point B. I get it. Like. You, no, nothing is perfect. You know, you have to show and tell a little bit and have a balance. But with with Eliza's character, there, we tip the scale of exposition. There was just too much. Too much. It. Yeah. Yeah. And I thought there was a chance that that Eliza was actually Julie. And, you know, she was trying to figure out what exactly happened to her when she was younger and, and who betrayed her. And that's kind of how she had all this, you know, information. I thought that would have been a really cool reveal. But that ended up being nothing either. So, I don't know. Really strange character there. I mean, does does Jewel even care what happened to her? Or was she too lithium? Like, <laughs> it's true. Too much. Like, too, did too she much even lithium know? in her system? Yeah, yeah. I don't know. We we don't really get to know much, and that's fine. I mean, Wayne doesn't. At the end, Wayne's losing his his mind, and he decides, or I don't know, maybe he he does know it's her. We don't really know, but either way, we don't get to know what her experience was. We only learn her experience through this guy Watts. Uh, who we were introduced to in the sixth episode yeah. through, through Amelia. And then we see him again in the eighth episode because Roland is a friend of the DMV. I mean, it's all very convenient. Very convenient. And like, again, going back to just lazy writing, lazy storytelling, you know, we got a character who we don't even know about until the sixth episode of the season, who then just explains everything that happened in a, in like a little short monologue. I mean, and they really couldn't find this guy. I mean, right. Until 2015 to use one of Roland's old DMV. Oh, and by the way, while we're on the topic of Watts, he didn't age at all. At all. It, it was 25 years. The guy looks just like he did in 1990. I mean, <laughs> Mahershala, he's got makeup on. And Dorf's got makeup on. He's got a gray stubble. I mean, they do a great job with their makeup. And then meanwhile, they just like the, the key guy, the whole thing, they don't age whatsoever. One bit. And, and the reason why they didn't age him is because guess what? He would have been dead. He right. looked like he was 60 to 65 years old in 1990. He would have been 90 and decrepit if they had aged him. So conveniently, they left out the aging process. And, of course, he remembers everything. Everything. Every little detail. And, you know, Wayne's the one with the memory issue. It's just. Yeah. And that kind of brings it back to are they good detectives? I mean, how many African-American men with one, like, clear eye worked on the chicken line at Hoyt's Foods? Like, there couldn't have been that many. I mean, let's walk it through for our listeners. How, who, who's better detective than the two main characters? Amelia is absolutely a better Definitely. detective. She uncovers a lot more information. Eliza is a much better detective. I'm going to go out there and say uh, Will and Julie's father is a better detective because guess what? He at least penetrated the Hoyt mansion. Yeah, he found How it. could they not have – yeah. How could Wayne and Roland not do a little like surveillance and get in there? I mean they're cops. I mean get find a way <laughs> – to get into this guy's property and at least check it out. Cause guess what they would have found? They would have found Junius Watts and they might've been able to find the girl. I mean, yeah. or, or at least Hoyt's daughter who clearly had a lot of issues and was a key part of all this too. Cause she was 
the main abductor at the very beginning of the plot. You know, she was the one who was actually responsible for taking this girl. Yep. And, and killing the boy, you know? Right, right. It makes no sense. So the next thing I want to go over, and, and to me, it was a, a very clear choice that the the showrunner made to to do all this and show us all these things. You know, the first season of True Detective, even the second season of True Detective, really made a point to show you you know, really small details, hoping that you pick up on it. In this season, it was like massive, you know, shove it down your throat things that ultimately ended up having no impact on the show. So, for instance, w- what happened with the peephole in the bedrooms? Like, uh, that's not I mean, explained at all. Yeah, I mean, he finds it in 2015, right? He goes back to the house. And that's, again, he's a better detective in 2015 than he is in, in 1990, right? Right. And then he finds the peephole, and he, he, I think he realizes they're passing notes, but then the notes... The notes didn't play a role in it at all because they weren't uh, abducted by the church. They weren't abducted by some sort of large grand conspiracy. They were just they just so happened to be playing with this woman who had they who they seemed to like. Right. I mean, it didn't seem like it was a hostile like. Right. She she was playing with them because she was in pain and she lost her daughter. And the, so the notes, whatever they were passing through that peephole weren't you know, they weren't like tipping us off of anything major. It was really just. Yeah. Uh, uh, you know, a. a, a what am I trying to say? A brother and a sister just trying to have correspondence. Yeah. Yeah. And like they, they did so many things. Like they implied the, that Lucy's cousin was like involved in some creepy way of like spying on the girl, which was nothing. Um, and then, nope. and then even, you know, he, and he plays no role in it at all. No role at all. Like his character was totally irrelevant the entire time. And then even in that, uh, I, I believe it's the 1990 storyline where they find the picture of Will, uh, from the first communion with his hands all, you know, folded up like that. And that's how his body was found. They make it seem like there was some connection, especially with the church. Like they, they brought in the priest. You spend some time talking to the priest and all these people involved uh, in the church realm. And then at least, at least 20 minutes with the church. And yeah. Of course, guess what? Watts just folded his arms up like that and that's it. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. And it was just, it, it made no sense to me. So my next point and it, it's the the last scene of pretty much the the show when Wayne actually finds uh, Julie Purcell. You know, after all of this happens, um, and you know, we're led to believe that he either had a you know a lapse in memory and couldn't remember what he was doing there, uh, or I'm, my theory is that you know he he ultimately realized that this was Julie Purcell and he chose not to bring it up. What do you think? Do you, do you think he had a lapse in memory, or do you think he chose to kind of just let this be and, and let her live out her life? I think he let her live out his life, um, but obviously it could definitely go both ways because yeah. he gives the uh, the note to his son who holds on to it conveniently. Which is which weird, leads, too. Yeah, because it leads you to believe Eliza is still lurking there, even though she's not in the episode. Uh, so I think he chooses ultimately to let her go. But let's just say, playing devil's advocate, that he actually did forget who she was and why he was out there. How is he driving? I mean, this- <laughs> It's it's so problematic. I mean, his son seems like he's his son is so skeptical uh, of his dad, yet he lets his dad just drive carefree everywhere. Yeah. Like it's so baffling. He should never have a car. How does he have a car? <laughs> he never had a car the entire season. Right. Henry was taking him he, around everywhere the whole season. Yeah, he, he was, was always the passenger. Once. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and now all of a sudden he's got a car and a license, even though he's got heavy, heavy, heavy dementia. So even. <laughs> Either way you cut it, I mean, I'd like to believe that he just lets her live her life and, like, that's his decision. You know, he makes he, – he goes on the hunt one last time, so to speak, because he's an army tracker and he finds her and that's, like, his reward. And then he's just like, you know what? There's no need. I have my reward. I can see her. I've located her. It's over. 
And that's all nice and dandy. But at the end of the day, either way, whether he decides that as a, you know, a nice person, good character or whatever, either way, how he gets to there is just so baffling with the car. It's just so Yeah, it makes no sense to me. I, I personally think he chooses to, to let her live her life. And, and to me, uh, you know, that final shot where they show him, you know, tracking in Vietnam to me kind of would, would make sense why they would add that if that was the case, because to me, you know, it ties to season one where it's like, you know, McConaughey gives that time as a flat circle and, you know, it shows that, you know, the tracker ultimately found what he was looking for. So to me, it makes sense, but really, you know, I, I think it's going to remain unanswered. And I, I doubt uh, anyone's going to come out and, and, you know, just say yes or no, but it, it really is a kind of, to me, a credit to Mahershal Ali, because you don't know if, you know, he's just a, such a good actor yeah. that these little things, the choices he makes kind of infer that, or if, you know, that's what he was kind of led to, to, to do by the director. I completely agree. Ali really stands out in that scene because he, he leaves it both ways and there is no real answer because of the way he, he plays it. Uh, I mean, here's the thing though. It's like, he's able to remember his son, his son's number, when to call him and everything. So it's a clear, he has some sort of grasp on his mind. I don't believe anybody could drive out. Like, let's just say I drive three towns over and then I all of a sudden forget. Like, I just, I feel like if your dementia is that bad, you're not making it out to, you know, a 40 mile trek and then all of a sudden it kicks in and then, but conveniently, Oh, I have dementia, but enough grasp in that scene to go back to his car, get his phone and call his son. So yeah, I think he knows, I think he knows what he's doing. I agree. Uh, one other fun storyline that I kind of enjoyed talking about, uh, is there's a theory floating around there that Wayne is dead the entire time. And that yeah. the, the Vietnam flashback, you know, teases that, you know, maybe he's about to step on a landmine or get shot or, you know, something along those lines. Uh, yeah, this this is whole, his whole life. He, he dreamed up in his head before he died. In Vietnam. Yeah. And it's a fun theory to think about. So let's tease it out a little bit. Yeah, I, I would have if this was actually the thing, I would have liked to see more of Vietnam. And I, you know, right. But he boxed himself into a corner because I don't think you could do more than three timelines. And I've talked to this about a couple of people or at this point with a couple of people. You know, when you have three timelines, if you're going to bring us into 1970, we're in 80, 90, and 2015. If you're going to take us back again to Vietnam and have that be part of the season, then it gets confusing. So I understand why he didn't do that uh, in the narrative format. But if this was all just a dream, I need a little bit more Vietnam, Wayne, uh, rather, you know, because it's like I need to know at least him in Vietnam more than just one parting scene. scene, Right. Yeah. Yeah, because you put a point in here that, you know, it felt a lot like the, you know, like it, it potentially could have been like Inception. Like, did this all happen? Is this like a dream? Which I think is fascinating. And like to me, you know, when I was thinking about the end of the, the show and the finale, like it, it really did to me feel like the end of The Sopranos, the movie Inception. But the, really the big difference with those two ones is at least it's up to the viewer to kind of interpret what happens. Like it, it's all there, for instance. Like you get to just think and, and make your decision based on what you see. Whereas with this one, I don't get that feeling. Like, you know, we got told what happened and then they flashed a scene at the end where it's like, maybe you could infer some additional things, but really it's probably just a, a, a you know, bringing it all back that he's a tracker. I mean, the diff- the main difference is I think Christopher Nolan and David Chase are two of the best writers uh, that have ever lived. And, and Nick Pizzolatto is, I think he's average and descending in, in terms of where I rank him in terms of his writing ability. I just, I, you know, the Sopranos is such a multi-layered show and there's so many things that are baked into that entire series that, you know, lead you to interpret different things to that scene. Whereas this is like, you're given the entire story by this character, Junius Watts. And then it's basically it. I mean, the show could have ended 
at that guy's kitchen table. table yeah. Not, yeah. So, I mean, it didn't really even need to extend on any further. The only reason why we got more was because Pizzolatto wanted to just, just hammer it home. Like, Oh, this was actually a show about a relationship between this guy and his wife and this guy and his partner. And that, that what was it? Four or five more scenes after we see Watts and then it's over. So and it's like, it, yeah. Yeah. And that's really, that, that's where it comes down to for me. It's like, it would have been like if the Sopranos had ended when Tony kills Chrissy or something. Spoiler alert. Spoiler. Uh, yeah. <laughs> We're going to put but, a big uh, spoiler alert thing starts anyway. Well, people should have watched it by right. now, I think. Yeah. <laughs> um, and then again, you know, kind of going to the, the penultimate episode, you know, we're led to believe that Hoyt, you know, the owner of Hoyt Foods is going to be this big bad. You know, the scene was awesome where like they pull up in the two cars with the tinted windows and they give the really kind of hammering phone call to, to, you know, Wayne. And then it just turns out that Hoyt is this kind of old broken dude. Like he's not some big bad. He's not some guy who's running this massive conspiracy trying to scoop up kids. Like he's just this broken dude whose daughter had some tragedy in her life. They get Michael Rooker to play him and, and he's a great actor. And it was, it was disappointing to, I mean, it was a great scene, uh, him and Ali out there on the mountain and it was a good, it was well shot and, and well acted. Like again, a lot of this season had its moments, but it was a season full of good moments, but it, it never tied together. Never and, came together. And this was a good example of that. Cause it's the penult- penultimate episode, which is the most important, I think in TV leads you to believe that this is it. And you know what, guess yep. what? It, it wasn't it. It was far from it. It was not at all. And so we're left with a cliffhanger after episode seven and the cliffhanger is nothing. And it, that's really, I think where the show, uh, went off the rails with that Hoyt scene. Yeah. And it, it just, it seems like such a waste of everything. Like you, like you said, Michael Rooker, great actor. Like he's one of those character actors that just shows up in things like he's in guardians of the galaxy. He's in, uh, you know, JFK, JFK days of thunder. Like he's a good days actor of, and a great oh, guy, yeah. that can, you know, fill space and just to have him for that one scene. And like you said, it was a great scene, but he ended up being a nothing character. Just seemed like a huge waste. Um, and, and, you know, my last really big nitpick is, uh, again, the, it all comes together. Julie Purcell's okay. She's hidden. She meets her, you know, crush, I guess, from when they were in, when they were 10 years old, which to me is a huge stretch. You know, you're telling me that a nine-year-old, 10-year-old kid who's got a crush on a girl doesn't see her for presumably 15 or so years and then just sees her somewhere is going to immediately be like, oh, that's that's Julie. I'll add one more point to that, actually. If so, let's just, you know, say that they do get hitched and they do love each other. Why are they staying in Arkansas? Right. Why don't you get the fuck out of there? Clearly, she's wanted by this guy, Watts. Uh, right. And they just stay right close to home. I mean, and not to mention the two, detect- the two detectives, not true detectives, I think confused. The two detectives, if they actually were doing police work in the last 25 years, they probably could have stumbled upon her. It, yeah. It, yeah. It makes no sense to me. And then to me, the other weird thing about the whole that whole storyline is it turns out they have a kid together whose name is Lucy, which to me seems so bizarre. Like, why why would Julie name her daughter after her mother when, you know, it turns out that her mother sold her, basically? Like, that makes no sense. I, to me, it seemed like a choice that uh, Pizzolatto did to kind of tip off the audience, but like... Why in the hell would Julie name her kid after her mom who sold her? Yeah, why would you want to keep her memory alive? She was a drunk, she was a whore, and she, I mean, everyone thinks she died of a drug overdose, but obviously she was murdered by this Harris James character. But I mean, either way, not a great person, right? 
Not at all. Not at all. Uh, um, yeah, and she keeps her memory alive by naming the kid. Yeah, but right. I thought that I thought that was just yet another example, of, like where Palazzo thought he's or Pizzolatto, I should say, thinks he's being smart, and it really is not that intelligent of a choice. I mean, the kid could have been named anything; it wouldn't have really affected the show in any in right. one way or another. So, my last kind of big takeaway, and this is something that you brought up, um, you know, and just to kind of bring the whole season together, our overall thoughts on, on what happened, just not just the finale, but um, you know, you made a, a good analogy that it's like a, a quarterback who's glued to his favorite receiver. Like he's just looking to the one guy he's doing the same beats over and over and over. Like he really relied on getting really great acting and obviously casting Mahershala Ali. That's not hard to get great acting from him. He's a phenomenal actor, but he got a ton out of Steven Dorf. He got a lot out of the actress that played Amelia. Like the acting was great. The, the mood felt right. Like everything felt good except it just wasn't. So it just seemed very lazy to me. Yeah. And again, it also had a big set piece in the middle of it, which was similar to the first season where they had the shootout at Woodard's house. Um, but again, it, you know, that scene is it's left on a hangover, uh, a cliffhanger in the third or fourth episode. And then the fourth or fifth starts with the shootout. And then it's like that delayed, that delayed, uh, of it being a week later it ruined the suspense of the scene whereas in the first season you get that brilliant final 25 minute raid scene with McConaughey, which right. is like one of the best uh, set pieces in television history this was the complete opposite it was a good set piece but it like it didn't have the energy because we had to wait for it for a week and then it started the episode rather than ended the episode and maybe he thought i'll throw off the audience expectations by starting an episode with it but it that stuff just doesn't work and it's like going back to the penultimate episode you know rather than leaving us with a cliffhanger in the seventh episode they should have given us some more action and then the eighth episode like the first season could have been this kind of emotional resolution at the end which is fine you know you have russ and marty looking at the stars in season one in this one you have amelia and wayne talking in the bar and kind of making a resolution and then him saying he's going to marry her that is all fine, but it's just the way that it comes to be and the way that it's playing with the audience's expectations of it. That's it's flawed. Yeah, no, absolutely. Um, so for me, I think this is a major disappointment. I, I really did not enjoy the finale. It just felt like a huge letdown to me. So what I want to ask now, where does true detective go from here? Do you, do you want to see a fourth season? Do you think there's something that they can be doing? I, I'll say this. I will watch the fourth season because I'm sure that it will attract some great actors and some great directors uh, because it has a brand name. And that's what that that's what sways in Hollywood these days, as you know. Um, but I'll watch. But I'm not I don't think of him in, in the same sense as some of these other great showrunners. I definitely don't think of him as a Vince Gilligan. Uh, you know, I'm not going to I don't think of him as a genius showrunner no. anymore. And after the first season, you know, the wool was pulled over my eyes. I definitely thought he was the future of TV writing. And now over time, I've come to realize that it was all the direction and the performances of season one. And I don't know if this guy has a lot to say, you know. Yeah. Uh, yeah. And we'll, we'll see. I guess that's why I'll, I'll watch season four for that reason. I want to know what this guy has to say about our, our, you know, current state of affairs or just the genre in general. I, I just felt like. He didn't advance the genre of true crime uh, and police drama at all this year. No, uh, you know. Yeah, and so real quick, I forgot to put something into our show under our agenda here, so I'll, I'll let you chew on it and to think on you know who you'd want to star in season four, but think on that while I just kind of get my last point. So for me, I'm with you. I do think I would watch a season four just because again they're going to get 
star power. I think they, they've got somewhere to go, but there's a point in season three that to me seems like a, a really natural jumping off point for what could be season four. And that was when Amelia goes to the, the convent and she's talking to the runaway who becomes the nun and the nun. And again, it's this misdirection, but the nun gives us this really great quote. Um, and yep. I think I'm paraphrasing it, but it's, you know, if, if you really want to write a, a real book, ask what happens to young girls around here. Yeah. That, that's all, the, all the girl, all the girls out here or something like that. Yeah. yeah. That was, yeah. It's a great line, and it made you think that there's this big conspiracy. So, you know, for me, if if there is going to be a season four, I think it's got to be something around that and kind of make make right for all these little hints and things they teased at. And somebody that we overlooked here in the overall breakdown of this series is actually Rachel McAdams' character in the second season is actually pretty good, too. Yeah. Yeah. To answer your question of who I'd want to see in season four, and I think this would be the best plot, what you're hitting on, is kind of investigating these crimes against uh, – these females in that, in the South, uh, in the South there near the Ozarks, that, I would watch that. And then I think the lead should be a female. And, and, and instead of, instead of making it all about this male machismo uh, and these guys, the guys don't know themselves. So maybe give us a girl character, right. a female character, I should say that knows themselves a little bit more yep. and is more self-assured. Cause I think a lot of the, the problems is that, you know, Wayne doesn't know who he is and Roland, I think is pretending a lot of the time too. And that's almost why we get where we are in 2015. They haven't solved the crime because they haven't solved themselves, even though they're now in their 60s and 70s. And so in season four, I definitely would like to see a, you know, a confident woman uh, detective. Uh, I'll throw out, you know, Natalie Portman is obviously a phenomenal actress. And the reason why I think of her, and, and this is totally off the cuff, too, is every big name has done TV. Julia Roberts yep. has done TV. George Clooney is fucking doing TV this year. George fucking Clooney is doing TV. I can't, <laughs> I, I could say that 20 times and I still don't believe it myself. The only people that are, that seemingly are left that haven't done TV yet are Leonardo DiCaprio and a few others. And Natalie Portman is on that short list. She yeah. has not done television. I say sign her up and I'd, I'd watch that show. And the reason why I'm thinking of her is I think Annihilation was a really underrated movie last year. And she, kind of goes at it in that uh, show where she's got the gun and she's got that kind of physical presence of a soldier um, hunting down stuff. And yeah. so I, I'd like to see her as a cop and we obviously know she can act. She's phenomenal in uh, black Swan and Jackie and the professional. And yeah, she's closer. fantastic. That's a really yeah. good one. I didn't have her on my list. I got three females and three males. That I'm going to throw out to you. Uh, similar to a little bit similar to Natalie Portman. I got Charlie Theron. Oh Yeah. I mean, yeah, sign, Mad Max, she was badass in that. Yep, sign me up for that show. I'd watch so, that for sure. So that's a good one. This one is a little bit uh, of a stretch, but to me, it's like kind of bring back some older 90s actresses that were relevant. Jennifer Love Hewitt. Maybe she could kind of go dark and be involved in like some kind of seedy underworld. I think maybe she's got a shot. Now, the problem with that is that she can't act. That's true. That's <laughs> a major problem. <laughs> the last one, though, I think is interesting. Amelia Clark. Game of Thrones is ending soon. She's a badass in that one. She probably wouldn't want to jump to another HBO show, but I think she'd be good. Yeah, that you know that would be on brand for HBO to keep the Amelia Clark uh, kind of in house, almost. You yeah. know, don't don't let her run off to Showtime or Hulu or Netflix. Right. I, I like that idea. All right. So then for the guys, I got one uh, just because he's kind of been around and I like him, and he's been in in movies recently this year. Viggo Mortensen. Nice. Could yep. be a good one. Uh, this one I like a lot. Will Smith. Ooh, I like Vigo and Will Smith together. Maybe Who that knows? could be a good one. Although I know I don't want to, you know, the racial tension between the, the two this year was great, but I don't know if I want to see that repeated. That's necessarily. True. That's true. Yeah. 
But uh, I do like I like Vigo because he's old, right? And so and maybe we can do the reverse of what we had this season. Maybe we can have him as an old guy, and we reverse into a young. I don't know, maybe Chris Hemsworth or Ryan Gosling playing okay. young Vigo or something like that. I don't know. Just spitballing now. But, yeah, yeah that, that could work. All right, and then my last one is another 90s throwback. The man himself, Mark Paul Gosseler. <laughs> Zach Morris. Oh. <laughs> I don't know why I thought of that one. <laughs> now, that would work with Jennifer Love Hewitt. I, right? know, I would, it would be a, definitely a different direction I, than what, we, what we've gotten with Mahershala Ali. I, I, you know, I would watch it with him, though, too. I, I can't. I think you're five out of six. I'd watch all. F- I'd watch five of those six. Jennifer Love Hewitt. I think I would <laughs> stretch. I would probably skip out on. That's more my nostalgia of '90s love of being obsessed with Jennifer Love Hewitt. <laughs> and there's there's nothing wrong with it. There's absolutely nothing wrong with it. Yeah, she's well, a beautiful woman. Why not? Exactly. Uh, all right, man. That puts a bow on uh, on on True Detective season three. Really appreciate you coming on, man. This is fun. Yeah, I'm looking forward to talking more TV with you. There, you know. 2019 started with this show first weekend in January. So I was really amped to get the TV ball rolling and you know, the balls roll down back, back down the mountain and we've got to push it up again. Cause yeah. this, this, need- I'm, I'm feeling yeah, I'm ground zero right now. I gotta, we gotta go back up and get elevated on some good TV. Yeah. Oh, and we need game of Thrones to pick us back up and we're going to have you on when, when Thrones is coming back on too. So uh, hopefully, wait. hopefully that gets us back up. All, All right, right, buddy. Perfect. Well, thank you so much again. Yeah, man, this is fun.